the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blinn producing, Dave King engineering here in Portland, and Pedro Bartes producing and engineering in Seattle. Today, looking forward to sharing a conversation with David Clausen, who along with Denny Burke and Colin Smothers co-authored Male and Female, He Created Them, A Study of Gender, Sexuality, and Marriage. It's an important study. It offers biblical insight and clarity. It's theologically solid and, as you probably know, incredibly timely. That's coming up uh, in the 5 o'clock hour of today's program. Well, a uh, deal to keep the government funded that was struck late Sunday by two factions of the House GOP appears to have already hit enough opposition to derail it. Well, negotiators for the pragmatic Main Street Caucus and the hardline right House Freedom Caucus agreed to a stopgap spending bill known as a continuing resolution that would fund the government for 31 days while cutting discretionary government spending by about 1%. Only 1%. Now, funding for defense, veterans affairs, disaster relief would not be cut under the deal, while the remaining areas covered by Congress's 12 appropriations bill will be reduced by about 8%, or it would have been. A draft copy of the agreement's uh, top lines was obtained, and uh, that pretty much sums it up. It would also attach House Republicans' border security bill, House Resolution 2, excluding a provision mandating E-Verify that a significant number of GOP lawmakers opposed. But even as the details of the continuing resolution deal leaked on Sunday night, Multiple House Republicans took to social media to publicly voice their opposition with just a thin majority in Congress. However, uh, lower chamber and multiple absences on both sides, a piece of legislation can only lose four GOP votes to pass without Democratic support. No continuing resolution passed the, well, expletive appropriations bill. Roll back the crazy bureaucracy to pre-COVID levels now. That's a... um, Quote from Representative Dan Bishop, a Republican out of North Carolina, writing on X, formerly known as Twitter. Well, former Freedom Caucus member Representative Marjorie, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Republican out of Georgia, wrote on the site, continuing resolution negotiated by Byron Donalds and Dusty Johnson. No policy writers in the continuing resolution. So it's all the policies from last year's Democrats appropriation with an 8% cut, plus the border bill, but no E-Verify I'm a no. Well, representatives Eli Crane of Arizona, Matt Rosendale of Montana, and Paulina Luna of Florida also were among those voicing opposition on Sunday night. And it looks like it's not a go. Well, if Congress fails to pass any kind of funding plans by the 30th of September, lawmakers risk letting the government sink into a partial shutdown. Top Republicans across the conference signaled support for the continuing resolution deal on Monday. Freedom Caucus Chair Scott Perry said on X, HFC members have worked over the weekend with the Main Street Caucus on a path forward to fund the government and secure America's border. We now have a framework for our colleagues across the House Republican Conference. 
Well, apparently not so much. Freedom Caucus policy chair Chip Roy, a key negotiator between conservatives and GOP leaders, also spoke out for the uh, continuing resolution plan, but to no avail. The reality is that we can't shut down the government and we must secure the border. Our framework, our deal does that, Johnson said. Shutdowns are stupid. (laughs) Stupid, he says. I think we have an obligation to find a way forward and we're going to do it. They have until the 30th. Today is the 18th. The House of Representatives passed a bill on Thursday to protect cars with internal combustion engines amid new regulations from California that would limit them. The Preserving Choice in Vehicle Purchases Act was introduced by Representative John Joyce, a Republican out of Pennsylvania. It would prevent states from adopting emission standards for new vehicles that restrict the sale of gas-powered cars, as some states like California have proposed to do, and others certainly to follow. The measure passed the House by a vote of 222 to 190, as Joyce tweeted. California regulators shouldn't have the power to determine what vehicles are sold to families in Pennsylvania, Joyce wrote in a statement issued before the House vote. One state should not be able to set national policy and uh, and Americans should not be forced into making purchases they're unable to afford. Now, the Hill reported that eight Democrats joined Republicans in voting for the bill. Um, so this was somewhat controversial. However, the Republican led legislation isn't expected to advance or become law soon since it faces pretty tough going in the Democrat run Senate. Well, Joyce bill would amend the Clean Air Act, which allows the Environmental Protection Agency to waive national standards for states that adopt their own emission standards, a provision inserted expressly for California, according to the American Action Forum. Well, the Clean Air Act also allows states to adopt California's stricter standards, resulting in 17 other states enacting them, according to the California Air Resources Board. Well, the decision in 2022 by the board to require 100 percent of all cars sold in the state to be zero emission vehicles by 2035 would spread to all those states and could affect approximately 40 percent of all vehicles purchased or not purchased in this case. If you're talking about EVs in the United States, according to the AAF. Well, let's see. Um, truckers are weighing in. California's EV rules, totally impractical. They may well build a spaceship and go to Mars. That's what truckers are saying. Well, in early April, David Garola Jr., he got behind the wheel of an electric semi and took it for a spin. The southern San Diego-based trucker liked the way it looked and he liked the way it drove. It, the hulking vehicle accelerated smoothly like a car, he said. He was impressed. But as at this point, buying an electric truck makes no sense to Garello. Um, a driver and small business owner with two trucks and one employee. The cost of an electric truck, even with federal tax incentives, is out of reach. Even if he could afford one, there are few places for a driver like him to charge an electric truck. And the limited range he can drive on a single charge, um, maybe a couple of hundred miles, wouldn't work for his daily trips to the port of Long Beach. Uh, round trips from San Diego for him, 234 miles. That means... On one trip somewhere coming back south to San Diego, I would have to find a charging station just to get enough power to get back home. And the um, two loads he currently is running a day, that becomes absolutely impossible with an electric truck. That would make a huge impact on his business. In fact, it wouldn't even be a business for him any longer, 
It would literally be his rev- cut his revenue in half. So he says, may as well build a spaceship and go to Mars. Don't give him any ideas because that may be the next big thing. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on this Monday afternoon. We're going to take a break. We'll continue to uh, march our way through some of the day's headlines. And coming up in our second hour, David Clausen, co-author, male and female, he created them. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, special counsel has requested a narrowly tailored gag order for the former president in the 2020 election interference case. They explained in a 19-page court file released on, uh, well, released today, that they're requesting the order to keep Trump from making public statements that could present a serious and substantial danger of material prejudicing this case because he has made nearly uh, daily social media attacks on people involved in the case, including the judge and special counsel Jack Smith. Well, since the indictment in this case, the defendant has spread disparaging and inflammatory public posts on Truth Social on a near daily basis regarding the the, uh, citizens of the District of Columbia, the court, prosecutors, prospective witnesses, prosecutors wrote. Well, like his previous public disinformation campaign regarding the 2020 presidential election, the prosecutors added, the defendant's recent extrajudicial statements are intended to undermine public confidence in an institution, the judicial system, and to undermine confidence in and intimidate individuals, the court, the jury pool, witnesses, and prosecutors, end quote. While the requests, which must be approved by Chutkin, would ban Trump from making statements about the identity, testimony, or credibility of prospective witnesses. However, prosecutors said that they do not want to block Trump from being able to quote or reference the court record or to proclaim his innocence. The request comes as Chutkin told Trump's lawyers during a hearing last month that she wouldn't tolerate any comments from the former president that might intimidate witnesses or prejudice potential jurors. I caught you and your client... Uh, to take special care, I caution you rather, to take special care in your public statements in this case, Chutkin said at that time, I will take whatever measures are necessary to protect the integrity of these proceedings. Well, Trump, as you know, pled not guilty to four federal charges in the case last month and uh, is expected to um, face several charges. The trial is set to begin on March the 4th. Trump also is facing 42 felony charges, uh, counts rather, as a result of Smith's separate investigation into the former president's alleged mishandling of classified documents. Before that, Trump was indicted in Manhattan on 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in connection with the hush money payment to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. I don't know why they call it adult film. It's anything but that. Anyway, I'm sure his attorneys, those who are representing him, would love for him to stop talking or writing or humming or anything that makes a noise relating to this case. It's not helping him or them. A Department of Defense policy incorporating gender neutral language into award citations will be amended to clarify that it doesn't ban using himself or herself. That's according to a defense official speaking to the Daily Caller. Well, the Pentagon is clarifying the award citations um, that we were told would be using these um, other pronouns themselves uh, toward individuals who are recipients. Well, the DCNF previously reported that the end of tour award for General Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, would use gender specific pronouns despite the Department of Defense uh, incorporating the gender neutral 
themselves into opening sentences for award citations. Well, the Pentagon will now update the Manual of Military Decorations and Awards with a clarifying comment to ensure joint award citations can be gendered pronouns, according to the official. Well, the change in the Department of Defense manual was not intended to restrict use of the citation pronouns. Oh, however, in order to avoid confusion in the future, which they'd already created in the past, we're adding a clarifying comment that themselves can be replaced with himself or herself as appropriate. Well, it's always appropriate for one or the other. We only come in two flavors. And the Department of Defense official told the DCNF on Tuesday, the department will ensure this nuance is reflected in the Department of Defense manual, the official said, but did not respond to a question about a timeline for that update. So keep your eyes and ears open. We'll try to follow the story. Well, a detransitioner, her name is Luca Hine, is suing the medical providers who surgically amputated her breasts at the age of 16 back in 2018, leaving her physically and psychologically scarred. Proceeding straight to breast amputation in a depressed, anxiety-ridden, gender-confused adolescent who was incapable of understanding the lasting consequences of her decision constitutes negligence for which defendants are jointly and severally liable. Her lawsuit states she's now 21 is one of a growing number of young women who are coming forward to sue the doctors and therapists who propelled them along the path towards surgical and hormonal transition. A detransitioner is someone who sought to change his or her gender through hormonal or surgical interventions and ultimately regretted the attempt and returned to living as he or she, according to their biological sex. Well, Hines lawsuit describes how she struggled through her parents' divorce in her early teens, how she was groomed online by predatory adults, struggled dramatically with her mental health, and ultimately was put on testosterone for four years, causing disruptions in her endocrine system, heart damage, her voice to deepen, pain throughout her body, and um, permanent uh, dysregulation of her reproductive organs. Well, resented by, represented rather by the Pittsburgh-based nonprofit legal group Center for American Liberty, she's accusing her doctor of causing her physical pain and mental suffering, both past and future, heavy medical expenses, permanent impairment of her earning capacity, inconvenience and loss of enjoyment of life, and permanent scarring, um, injury, and disability. As a proximate result of the actions of the defendants and each of them, Luca's breasts were surgically amputated, leaving her physically and psychologically scarred, the lawsuit says. If she has not yet suffered the loss of her fertility, Luca has lost her ability to breastfeed, thereby depriving her of the maternal benefits of nursing. Well, the filing continues. Luca's future children will be deprived of the natural bonding effects and nutritional benefits of breastfeeding. While the suit names University of Nebraska Medical Center, Nebraska Medicine, an MD, actually three MDs, and a psychotherapist, Nebraska Medicine declined to comment, and the rest of the medical professionals did not respond for further comment and are represented. In July, 21-year-old Texas detransitioner Soren Aldaco filed a lawsuit alleging that her doctors behaved more like ideologues than medical professionals and that they did not properly take her autism, depression, anxiety, and other comorbidities into account when they evaluated her for an attempted gender um, transition. The repercussions of these interventions have led, interventions rather, have led to Soren's permanent disfigurement 
and profound psychological scarring, the suit alleges. The defendants' breaches of their fiduciary duties are only underscored by the fact that each defendant met Soren and facilitated these therapies, in quotes, at a pivotal juncture in Soren's life when she was grappling not only with the universal challenges of adolescence and body image, but also with a complex amalgamation of diagnosed mental health comorbidities and other psychological and social disorders, end quote. Well, earlier in July, Prisha Mosley, a third, filed a lawsuit accusing her doctors and therapists of rushing her down a dangerous and life-altering path. Both Mosley and Aldaco, uh, they're represented by Campbell Miller Payne, PLLC, detransitioners Chloe Cole and Layla Jane. They're represented by the Center for American Liberty. They've also recently announced high-profile lawsuits against medical practitioners at Kaiser Foundation Hospitals and Permanente Medical Group. Now, the interesting thing is this is at the same time when parents are being locked out of decision-making and medical procedures and decisions um, that they desperately and certainly are entitled to be a part of. But we're being told, no, leave it to the professionals. They know. Well, just consider these detransitioners whose suits tell their tale. Well, UN's second highest ranking official unexpectedly backed the idea that the body should end Taiwan's exclusion from the UN's work on sustainable development after a question uh, from National Review. But only an hour later, the UN spokesman contradicted her, repeating Beijing's talking points on the matter. So you have the second highest ranking official unexpectedly blanking, uh, banking, <laughs> backing Taiwan. And then you have the... Um, U.N. spokesman contradicting her and repeating Beijing's talking points on the matter. I think exclusion of anyone holds back the goals. We said leave no one behind. And I think that the states have to find a way to make sure that we are not in that position where we're excluding people. The deputy secretary general Amina Mohammed said, responding to National Review's question. Every person matters, whether it's Taiwan or otherwise. And I think it's really important for member states to find the solution to that, end quote. Well, at a press conference to kick off a U.N. summit on sustainable development, Mohammed had been asked whether Taiwan's exclusion from the U.N. holds back the world's pursuit of its sustainable development goals, given that Taiwanese passport holders are barred from accessing U.N. buildings. Well, in a statement to National Review, <clears throat> Taiwan's de facto U.N. ambassador, James Lee, called Mohammed's comments encouraging, <clears throat> only to be discouraged moments later when she was told that that was or they were told that that was not the case. James, can I get your attention for a moment? Uh, that was not the case um, in the United Nations. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up later in the second hour, David Clausen, he's the co-author along with Denny Burke and Colin Smothers of Male and Female, He Created Them, A Study of Gender, Sexuality, and Marriage. It's an important study. It offers biblical insight, clarity. It's theologically sound, incredibly timely. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Also, tomorrow on the program, Samuel Hakim, he's the founder and director of Redeeming the Nations, a ministry to the Muslim world. Um, really fascinating work they're doing, and God is is moving and at work in uh, various parts of the world. You wouldn't expect he'll be joining us tomorrow. Well, social media users are blasting the president after he claimed that he taught political theory at the University of Pennsylvania. 
Critics accuse the president of making up a pretend life with his latest claim, as there is a lack of evidence he ever taught a class at the school, despite being named an honorary professor there in recent years. The president mentioned his supposed teaching years, plural, during his remarks in Maryland about the economy on Thursday afternoon. During the speech, the 46th president He took a minute to talk about the threats that democracy is currently facing in America and referenced the expertise in seeing this threat that he developed while teaching at the University of Pennsylvania. Now, you might just kind of chuckle and laugh this off, but what if he makes up a story in some international forum or he's making uh, there's a major negotiation? It's it's a bit concerning uh, and there seems to be a lengthening pattern. The United Auto Workers Union went on strike at three plants owned by the big three automakers, General Motors, Ford and Stellantis, after the two sides didn't reach a new labor deal on Thursday night. The workers are striking at a GM plant in Wentzville, Missouri, a Stellantis plant in Toledo, Ohio, and a Ford plant in Wayne, Michigan. Plants that were not called upon to strike will work without a contract, UAW President Sean Fain said. The UAW stand-up strike begins at all three of these uh, big three, the union said in a post on X shortly after uh, midnight on Friday. Bain says the uh, strategy will keep the automotive corporations guessing with leadership determining further strikes. Well, according to a Fox News poll, independents leave little doubt where they stand on a Biden-Trump rematch, corrupt and lacking the mental soundness to serve effectively as president. Well, that's what voters think of the two candidates who currently look most likely to be their 2024 presidential choices. A majority of 61 percent say Joe Biden doesn't have the mental soundness needed to do the job. That sentiment has risen steadily over the last three years. It's up five points since last year, up 13 points compared to 2021 and up 16 points since 2020. The latest Fox News national survey also finds that while 46 percent think Donald Trump has the cognitive capability necessary to be uh, president over half, 52 percent do not. And then there's that um, other thing that they're equally concerned about. An Arizona border patrol sector is facing overwhelming numbers with new images showing the overcrowding in facilities as agents have been greenlit to release migrants on the street to cope with the pressure. The sector has seen 2,000 a migrants crossing a day for three days and agents have uh, resorted to street releases in order to decompress the packed shelters. The population includes migrants from Africa, including many from Senegal. It's quickly become one of the most intense areas of a crisis that is again escalating as numbers increase. And the president continues to fiddle while the border, well, metaphorically burns. GOP senators demand answers on CIA whistleblower allegations of COVID-19 origins. An Arizona Border Patrol sector is facing overwhelming numbers with new images showing the overcrowded facilities as the uh, agents have been greenlit to release into the the, uh, main community. The House voted Thursday afternoon in favor of legislation striking down environmental regulations in California. An American Federation of Teachers president, Randy Weingarten, sparked Outrage after she spoke about the um, the Southern Poverty Law Center comparing 1950s segregationists with modern parental rights advocates, but denied agreeing with the assessment herself when contacted and challenged. Well, Professor Seth D. Harris, who served under the Biden and Obama administrations, interviewed Weingarten about the state of American education on Tuesday's episode of Power at Work broadcast. The um, 
Harris noted that how public schools, rather, have been politically lightning rods for decades, ranging from controversies over public funding to racial segregation. He asked Weingarten if there was something different about the political battle over schooling in states today. He also asked if she uh, should suggest a plan to moderate this new politicization of schools by folks on the right. Huh. Well, some would argue that they're there because of politicization on the left. Weingarten responded by suggesting the majority of Americans are not outraged about the state of public schools, but there are, or they've been ta- kowtowed into silence. But there are merely a small group of extremists who are relying on or exacerbating the anxiety that people had post-COVID, end quote. So she's underestimated her opponents. While she blamed the billionaire conservative class, you know, the moms and dads in your schools, Arguing they never wanted public education in the first place, she went on to reference the past backlash after Brown versus Board of Education. So the hundreds of thousands of parents, conservative parents who have their children in public schools, they apparently never wanted public schools in the first place, she opines. Her statements were widely shared online. It sparked swift backlash, but when contacted by a Media outlet, she claims she was comparing school choice and parental rights activists with segregationists. It wasn't her thought. Uh, She wasn't speaking for herself, but just saying what others had said, sounding very much like herself. Well, the Gettysburg Area School District's board reportedly voted to rehire a transgender tennis coach following a controversy that took place in the girls' locker room. The board of the Gettysburg School District uh, voted six to two with one member absent to renew tennis coach Sasha Yates contract for the fall, the uh, fall season. Gettysburg High School principal uh, had reportedly sent a memo to the coach in September of last year warning it is imperative to maintain professional boundaries after the coach, a biological male, allegedly engaged in controversial conduct in the girls locker room. There's no safe place for girls. The memo stated that Yates had changed near students in the girls' locker room and that he talked to students about undergarment preferences and menstruation. The outlet further said the board president indicated that the board had failed two further complaints that Yates had used a women's restroom and had walked through the girls' locker room on the way to a meeting. Double standard revoked. Federal appeals court allows Christian clubs to return to public school campuses. The U.S. largest federal appeals court ruled on Wednesday that fellowship of Christian athletes, of which I was once a member, uh, their student clubs could return to public high school campuses because the uh, First Amendment counsels mutual respect and toleration for religious and non-religious views alike. The Fellowship of Christian Athletes versus San Jose Unified School District, the Ninth Circuit ruled that the FCA and similar religious clubs do not have to give up their faith to have equal access to campus. It's almost maddening that they had to say it out loud. It was so obvious to the rest of us who have any idea what the Constitution says, but nonetheless, it was a victory. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up on our second hour, male and female, he created them. A study of gender, sexuality, and marriage. Well, the U.S. Senate will no longer enforce a dress code for members of the upper house elected by those they serve, however, others entering the chamber must comply with that dress code. Coats, ties for men, business attire for women. That's what uh, Chad Pergram tweeted. He's a senior congressional correspondent. Well, Senate Majority Leader 
Chuck Schumer, he quietly sent the directive to the Senate's sergeant at arms. News website Axios reported the change allows Senator John Fetterman to continue to wear his um, trademark hooded sweatshirt, gym shorts, while working for the American people. Decorum? Oh, that's so, you know, yesterday. House Republicans held a members-only conference with the Freedom Caucus members on Sunday night in an effort to avert a government shutdown. So far, the agreement has not held. Brian Schwalb, a Democrat attorney general in Washington, D.C., recently launched an investigation into conservative judicial activist Leonard Leo's network, an effort um, Leo's attorney says is a politically driven, uh, driven attempt at silencing the Republic, uh, the Republican activist and his associates. Politico reported in August that Schwalb had opened a probe into Leo and his associate uh, associated organizations. The investigation appears to have originated from a complaint from the left wing campaign for accountability, which alleged that Leo has enriched himself with consulting fees through his network. Campaign for accountability started as a project at the least uh, the largest liberal dark money network in American um, in America, rather managed by the D.C. based for profit Arabella Advisors consulting firm which overlooks the behemoth web of groups and has a similar consulting fee arrangement of that uh, targeted in Leo's for-profit and non-profits. The Campaign for Accountability has also secured millions of dollars in funding from groups uh, in the Arabella Managed Network since it broke away and became a standalone entity. Disney insisted it's not selling ABC at this time, last week amid ongoing Speculation, but the company admitted it's open to a variety of strategic options for the network and a sale could have major ramifications for ABC News. Disney's statement followed Bloomberg's report on Thursday that found the media giant held exploratory talks with TV station operator Nexstar Media about possibly selling off ABC. Media mogul and stand-up comic Byron Allen also made a massive offer to buy ABC. Allen Media Group confirmed Once news of a potential sale began to make headlines, ABC News staffers quickly expressed their concern to liberal media um, allies. Rather, CNN's media newsletter on Thursday was labeled anxiety at ABC and quoted staffers who said everyone is freaking out and it's all anyone is talking about. New York Times columnist Maureen Dowd hit President Biden's staffers in a piece published on Saturday for trying too hard to keep the president in check specifically during his interactions with the press. Dowd pointed to several recent instances where he stopped taking questions or explained that he couldn't take questions. During his speech on Thursday, he didn't take questions and said he would get in trouble if he did. He seems nervous that his handlers might yank his choke collar if he rattles on, the column read. I've covered Biden for 35 years, she wrote. He has always been a babble machine, prone to exaggeration and telling stories too good to be true, saying inexplicably wacky things. It was often clean up on aisle Biden. So when he acts like this now, it shouldn't be attributed just to aging. Certainly, he has slowed down, but his staff has exacerbated the problem by trying too hard to keep him in check. Americans know who Uncle Joe is, quirks and all, slower and all. Let them decide, she wrote. Well, I think in some cases, him now being the president of the United States, Uncle Joe bears a significant amount of uh, weight and responsibility. What he says matters, not just to reporters in the room, but all around the world. Electric regulators and utilities across America are sounding the alarm on grid reliability, yet the administration keeps on hitting the snooze button. 
The newest warning comes from the North American Electric Reliability Corporation's Biennial Reliability Risk Priorities Report. For the first time, energy policy is listed as one of five risk profiles joining a grid transportation transformation. Rather, Security risks, extreme events, and critical infrastructure interdependencies. This is significant because it singles out bad energy policy as a major threat to the grid. And while the president's Department of Energy and Environmental Protection Agency are doing uh, doling out daughters, uh, dollars as fast as they can in the name of climate change, some regulators understand the vulnerabilities in our grid. In a May hearing on Capitol Hill, Federal Energy Regulator Commission Chairman Willie Phillips warned we face unprecedented challenges to the reliability of our nation's electrical grid. Most Americans are sympathetic to Ukraine and understand Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion is the next big step in his goal of recreating the old Soviet Union. If Putin is successful in Ukraine, he won't stop until he involves NATO countries and the United States will be um, treaty uh, obliged to send American troops to fight. Doing nothing in the face of aggression is how World War II will eventually, or rather, three will eventually start. Giving Ukrainians the bullets to do the fighting and dying for their freedom was the right thing to do, and Congress has duly supported Kiev with sufficient military aid. But President Biden has not been a good-faith partner. The administration has neither explained the American objective in Ukraine nor his strategy to achieve it. Will American military spending continue until Ukraine has pushed Russia back to its pre-war boundaries, its pre-2014 boundaries, or until the Putin regime collapses? We don't know because the president hasn't told us. As long as it takes is a slogan and not a strategy. Leaders of an historic Dallas-area church are fighting for the right to rebuild the church on the property it has stood for nearly 100 and 50 years, but they're facing resistance from neighbors and the city council. Our focus, though, is to bring this historic, spiritual, and religious legacy back to life, the church leaders say, but the community is resistant. And this is not a new phenomenon. There are churches all over the country who would like to expand, relocate, uh, locate, and there is resistance as the uh, tax-exempt status makes them less desirable to those uh, in municipal Um, communities around the the country. Well, tomorrow on the program, we're going to hear from the founder and director of Redeeming the Nations. This is a medium industry to the Muslim world, uh, literally around the world. It's doing some significant work uh, with video and uh, audio. We'll talk with Samuel Hakeem about that, how you can connect with the ministry. And then we'll also hear from uh, Pastor Rich Jones and Matthew Dodds. They'll be um, hosting the program here in Portland as there's a radiothon in Seattle on Wednesday. So that's coming up later in the week. Coming up in the five o'clock hour, David Clausen, co-author of uh, uh, along with Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, male and female. He created them as the title of their book. Um, it's an important study. It offers biblical insight and clarity in what's uh, become something of a very confusing uh, season for for many and it offers it's theologically solid and it's incredibly timely. One last story before we go to top of the hour break. A debris field has been located by military officials amid their investigation of that F-15 or F-35 jet that disappeared in South Carolina on Sunday. They've apparently found the debris field 
Joint Base uh, Charleston said that the uh, debris field was found in Williamsburg County in South Carolina. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. News and traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We live in an era where there's a lot of confusion about things that used to be fixed, immutable, and well understood. And for many of us, believers, followers of Jesus, we just assume not deal with it. Just look away and hope that, well, it doesn't touch us personally. Well, those days have passed. And there's a new resource I want to make you aware of that's been produced, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. One of the co-authors joins us now is David Clausen. He serves as the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council, where he researches and writes on life, human sexuality, religious liberty, and related issues from a biblical worldview. He's currently completing a Ph.D. in Christian ethics at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and is a graduate of South uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and the University of Central Florida. Uh, he lives in Washington, D.C., as a member of uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church and joins us to talk about this resource that is designed to help the church confront the issue and to better understand uh, what the scriptures teach on the subject of uh, human sexuality and all the attendant issues. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. Well, Georgine, it's a joy to be on the program. Greetings from our nation's capital here in Washington, D.C. Well, it may seem like an obvious question, but I'm going to ask, uh, what motivated you to write uh, this piece, particularly for uh, the sake of members of the church to better understand and be able to articulate uh, the biblical worldview on the this, this subject of gender, sexuality, and marriage? Oh, absolutely. So I work at Family Research Council, which is a policy organization here in D.C. My co-authors, Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, they actually are in Louisville, Kentucky. They work uh, primarily for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And uh, we're friends from my time at Southern as a student. And uh, really, wherever they, uh, Colin and Denny, would travel around the country kind of talking about uh, the roles of men and women in the home and the church and what is biblical manhood, what is biblical womanhood, kind of wherever they would go to speak, uh, afterwards they would be asked questions on gender and sexuality and marriage. At my role at FRC, I've been able to travel the country and even some internationally, speaking on kind of on a whole host of issues. Uh, but really, kind of wherever I went after my talk or lecture, you know, little line of people come up to you and want to talk to you. And the questions, 90 plus percent were, how do I think about this, really the sexual revolution, transgenderism? Uh, and so we just realized there, there needs to be a resource. Uh, thankfully, there's some good books, Georgine. Uh, but mm-hmm. this is actually kind of like an eight-week study that's – and you would benefit if you went cover to cover through it by yourself. But it's actually meant to kind of for a small group or for a family or for a Bible study uh, to go with it, uh, to go through it together. Um, there's, there's videos that go along with it. And we, so we just know these are contested issues in the public square, and we really need to think together through these as a church. Well, it is a very timely uh, tome because there is a, a lot of, um, I, I'm not sure confusion is the right word. I think people are fairly clear on what the scripture teaches, but how do you navigate the hostile culture that we find ourselves in, in which if you hold an opposing point of view, if you hold a biblical view on uh, the subject of gender, sexuality, and marriage, you are deemed hateful and you can be canceled in some pretty significant ways. How do you hope this uh, this book will be used when um, Christians come together to consider what does the, the scripture have to say on these subjects? 
Well, a, cu- a couple of things, Georgina, and I, I will say we're at Family Research Council. We're a week or two away from actually uh, releasing a, a nationwide worldview study that we did with George Barna. Mm-hmm. Uh, we polled uh, thousands of people around, the, specifically in the church. Uh, 72% of the people who took our poll are, are weekly church attenders. And uh, one of the things we were shocked by, and here I'll give you one of the stats, uh, kind of like a pre-release here, if you will, uh, only 52% of the folks who, and these are regular church attenders, not just those who identify as Christian, uh, told us that they thought the Bible was really clear on transgenderism. Um, I think the number was in the high 60s on whether the Bible is actually clear on uh, the moral status of homosexuality. And so to, to me, so I, I hear the, the question you ask. I, I just want to take it a step further. I do think there's a lot of faithful folks who go to church uh, but they're actually a little murky on these issues because maybe they haven't been taught from their pastor. Maybe they haven't dug into the scriptures for themselves. Um, and so I, I do think there's a lot of education that needs to take place in the church and in Christian homes, Christian schools. Um, but but to the, the question that you ask about kind of the hostility, it's true. Uh, the issues that we're dealing with right now, so this is back to school season we're, we're about mm-hmm. to enter. Uh, questions that were uh, unchallenged and assumed just a couple of years ago. Uh, think of the question preferred pronouns. Uh, these weren't even on the radar, and now they are, which is why we think parents uh, need to be talking to their kids now about what you're going to do uh, when that teacher asks you to use preferred pronouns or that classmate who was a boy last year wants to identify as a girl this year. Like We need to be having those conversations now. Yeah, absolutely. I I wonder, too, if there is some confusion within the church. I know there is a stream within the church that embraces all of these things, and it's much more convenient to just accept it and to move on rather than to explore what the Scripture teaches and then to stand on on the truth of, of those Scriptures. A lot of people just want to opt out. Oh, it's true. No, they do. Because no, no, I think it's inherent with a lot of us. No one likes controversy. The very few people, you know, when there's an argument or there's a contention, want to run into the middle of that. Uh-huh. Um, and, and as Christians, we want to be kind and loving, and we want to be people who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And, you know, there's a whole host of issues that I think that good-meaning Christians can agree to disagree on. You know, I'm a Baptist, and I think my Presbyterian friends are mistaken on uh, baptism. But, you know, we're co-laborers. We get along. Um, you know, there's room to disagree on some secondary and tertiary issues, uh, but there are some issues where there's a clear "Thus saith the Lord." Uh, there's a chapter and a verse that we can go to in Holy Scripture, and when it comes to the things like the definition of marriage, or whether there's male or female, or the moral status of homosexuality, and, and I know anyone, perhaps people listening to this conversation, uh, even just raising the question uh, will sound bigoted and mean spirited. Uh, but there are some issues the Bible's clear on, and where the Bible's clear, uh, those who follow Jesus ought to be clear. And you know what? Jesus, I'm thinking John 15, 16, some of the last words he shared with his disciples, he said, as they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So in one sense, we should expect this. Yeah, we shouldn't be surprised. I, I wonder if you would comment on how central this um understanding what the scriptures teach on this subject and the assault on marriage and gender and sexuality, uh, what it says about God himself. And if it undermines his credibility, if we reject what he clearly um, lays out in, in the Bible, um, is it more serious than just whether or not my neighbor is going to be called a he or a she? 
no, the, the very uh, trustworthiness of God and his word is at stake in this debate. Uh, we know from Ephesians chapter 5, uh, the, the, the marriage relationship is a pattern for the way Christ relates to his church, the, the blood-bought, redeemed body of saints uh, that, that Jesus has bought back. Um, and, and really the trustworthiness of, of God's word is at stake. We know 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. And if you can go to the scripture and, and there's a passage that clearly defines marriage or clearly defines any of these issues, and then somehow you can say, well, actually, it means the exact opposite. Well, then all of a sudden, that means we can't take God at his word. And if we can't take God at his word, then God himself is not trustworthy. And where does that leave you? Uh, nowhere good. And so I think, yeah, the very character of God and the trustworthiness of his word is wrapped up in how we understand uh, some of these basic things, such as his creation of us, male and female. Uh, that's what it means uh, to be in God's image. He created this male and female in his image and the relationship of marriage, um, which reflects that unique relationship that Christ has with his redeemed people. So this is, it's inescapable for us to, we may not find ourselves confronting anyone or discussing the issue, issue publicly, but it is important for us to have a clear understanding. What does God have to say about this subject, about the ones he himself created. Now, the book is designed for group settings like Sunday school classes, small group Bible studies. You have some great chapter outlines. I think for, for some who aren't on top of this um, might even be completely unfamiliar, but there are phrases and subjects that will help to better understand where we are as a culture. We're going to take a break here in just a moment, but when we come back, I'd like to kind of walk through these uh, chapter headings and then talk about how a, a small group would, would use this resource to help them understand what the scriptures teach and what the culture is offering. So we'll, uh, we'll continue in just a few moments. Again, we're talking this afternoon with a co-author of Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. He wrote it along with uh, Denny Burke and Colin Smothers. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with David Clausen. He is the co-author, along with Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, of Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. David is uh, not only the co-author, but he also is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council. The book is published by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Now, just before the break, we were talking about how to uh, to use the book and some of the chapters that you focus on uh, during the uh, the weeks of this study. Can you kind of walk us through some of these um, these chapter titles? Absolutely. So, like I said, it's eight weeks, and we really try to root people in the Bible. Because, you know, you know, one thing, Georgine, I think we said this in the first segment, you know, in one sense, we're not saying anything new that hasn't been said. What we're really trying to do is just point people to the ancient troops, truths of Scripture uh, that have guided God's people for 2,000 years. Um, so kind of week one is called Creation's Warrant, uh, which is just kind of orienting people to how to read the Bible, to, to read, you know, to have a good hermeneutic, so to speak, mm-hmm. understanding how to read Scripture in its literary, historical, canonical context. And we, we start with Jesus, uh, which is always a good place to start. Uh, but, you know, when Jesus was asked about marriage uh, in the context of a question about divorce, where did he go? And we show that he went to Genesis uh, 1 and 2. And we're kind of just trying to show how Jesus himself read the Bible 
And, and that goes into chapter two called Creation's Order, where we really do do uh, like a, a deep dive on what God's Word says in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of male and female in His image, and then the institution of marriage. Uh, so that's, those are kind of the first two chapters introducing people uh, to try to frame our mind to think about these issues the way the Bible thinks about these issues. You go on from there to uh, to sins disorders, exchanging the truth of yes. God for a lie, which is becoming more uh, common. It's becoming comfortable. I suppose um, rejection of God's truth is always more comfortable in, a, in an age and a culture that doesn't embrace it. But these are serious challenges for us to consider. You go from there to temptation, desire and orientation, transgenderism, intersex, which again may uh, be a new concept to many identity and sanctification, sexual sin and the gospel. So you cover quite a wide uh, array of subjects that help us to understand the, uh, this cultural moment. We, we, we try to, Georgina, because that's, you know, these are the questions we know people are asking. So we did include, like you said, a whole chapter on intersex. Um, sometimes, you know, the acronym LGBTQ uh, mm-hmm. will be spelled LGBTQIA. Well, the I stands for intersex. And what is intersex? Well, that really just refers, it's kind of an umbrella term that refers to people who've experienced a, a physical disorder of sexual development. Uh, so perhaps the baby's born with uh, ambiguous genitalia. And so some people will say, hey, look, uh, because there's a disorder in sexual development, that therefore must defeat the whole gender binary, the idea that there's man, men and women. And, and so we kind of look at this and we say, well, no, in a Genesis 3 world, a fallen world, things go wrong, uh, even in our development. And, and so we talk about how to think about intersex. And we argue, we think even Jesus uh, in Matthew 19 had this category of people in mind. Um, And and so, again, we're just trying to walk through the issues that we know our friends and neighbors are talking about through the lens of God's Word, which which has clear answers and, I would argue, uh, very hopeful answers. Absolutely. In addition to the... uh... Uh, the workbook, I'll call it, Male and Female, He Created Them. You also uh, give access to uh, videos that can help um, your studiers to go deeper. We, we do, and actually anybody can access those videos for free if you just go to hecreatedthem.org, just kind of all one word, hecreatedthem.org. Uh, there's a tab there. Now, the videos are meant to be watched along with the booklet, but anyone can kind of get a taste of the material. We have world-class scholars, uh, Dr. Albert Moeller, uh, president of Southern Seminary. We have uh, Christopher Yuan. Um, we have Dr. Heath Lambert, uh, pastor, pastor, First Baptist of Dallas. H.P. Uh, Charles, uh, a well-known uh, African-American uh, pastor. We have Rosaria Butterfield, who identified as a lesbian uh, for years, uh, was a professor at Syracuse University, and then had a life-changing encounter with Jesus and uh, now has written books on this issue. And so she, she provides one of the videos as well to think about our identity uh, what, what, what do we mean when we talk about our identity? What does it mean to have our identity first and foremost in Christ? Um, and, and, you know, we, we also talk about just real practical issues. What, what, what happens when uh, someone asks you to use preferred pronouns or do you go to the same-sex wedding ceremony? Uh, so it's not just theory, although, mm-hmm. of course, theory is important. Uh, but we want to bring the theory out of the ivory tower, so to speak, um, onto the streets uh, and, and real-life questions that we know believers are facing and just, again, come alongside Christian parents and pastors 
uh, and think just a little bit more faithfully about these questions. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that emphasis on practice because I think for for many of us, um, gaining understanding is the first uh, part and it's essential. But how do we navigate through some of the uh, rather treacherous waters that we're we're going to be called upon to navigate through. We want to extend the love of Jesus out into the culture, uh, and we might assume that doing so, we just simply put blinders on and follow wherever the culture is leading us, but God is calling us to something else. And how we do both things, we stay faithful to the gospel, we extend the love of Christ, uh, and love others well, um, is a is a challenge. It is. And I think, you know, sometimes we can, you know, we, uh, one of my go-to verses, whether it's this issue, the abortion issue, religious liberty issues, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 15, when he said that we need to speak the truth in love. Yes. I think some of us might be better at the truth part, uh, whereas other people might be better, think they're more naturally better at the, the love and the kind part. Uh, but Paul says those things are not, they're really two sides of the same, different sides of the same coin. And so we want to be robust in our understanding of the Scripture and be able to speak truth. Uh, But we do it realizing we're speaking to other people uh, who are going through the same trials and temptations that we are, that are broken people, that are hurting people. And so I think, you know, those things don't have to be um, in tension with one another. That, That should really, I think, mark the way all of us as Christians engage these issues. I want to make sure that our listeners know where they can gain a copy of Male and Female. He created them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage intended to be uh, studied uh, with a group of people, whether that's a Bible study or a Sunday school class. What's the best way for them to uh, to get a copy and copies, yeah, I guess? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can go to hecreatedthem.org, and we have tabs for like Amazon Christian Book from the publisher. Uh, so just hecreatedthem.org. And if you want to learn more about the resources that we're putting out, go to frc.org forward slash worldview. Excellent. Well, again, I so appreciate the resource that you've made available. We desperately need to be taught and affirmed that this is what the scripture says and how we can approach uh, these issues, because ultimately we want to see our friends and neighbors and coworkers come to faith in Christ. And we want to be faithful to the gospel um, and, again, to extend the love of Christ uh, into our communities and to do it um, in a way that reflects his heart. Amen. Yeah. Well said. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And, well, thank you so much for the invitation. It was a joy to be on the program. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Again, David Clausen, co-author, along with Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, of Male and Female, He Created Them, a study of gender, sexuality, and marriage intended uh, to be used as a group uh, study, whether that's a Sunday school class or a Bible study. And you can find out more information at hecreatedthem.org. And as uh, mentioned uh, just briefly, there's also video to correspond with the study, this eight-week study. So you have some scholarly voices to to join in that conversation and would encourage you to take full advantage. I know for many of us, we're uncomfortable around the subject, uh, but this is the the time and the place that God has placed us. So we need to be uh, responsible and, and careful and prepared. Uh, we may not go seeking opportunities to bring the subject up, but it will come to us. And we want to make sure that we're uh, providing everything that God intends when we have that encounter uh, with those who uh, who need his, his love and his gospel.
Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. For our Seattle listeners, uh, we are out. Hope you have a great evening. Want to thank uh, Pedro Bartz for producing and engineering in Seattle. And thank you for joining us. Portland, stick around. There's more to come. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. This is the Portland-only edition. Now, when I say Portland, I recognize that it's not just Portland. We've got Beaverton and Hillsborough, Gresham. We've got all these Oregon City. Anyway, I just say Portland because it's shorthand for the rest of the uh, the area. Anyway, I got to return to some of the day's news. Hunter Biden has been indicted on gun charges. You knew that from last week. Why didn't David Weiss bring these charges five years ago? That's the question that is looming. Well, federal prosecutors, they've indicted Hunter Biden, the son of the president, on gun charges. According to court documents, he was indicted Thursday in Delaware in a federal court on three counts tied to possession of a gun while using narcotics. Now, this has to be a very painful episode for his father. Now, I get it. He's a Democrat. He's a politician. He's elderly. He's lost many children. Some people take glee in the situation because it's a kind of a gotcha moment. Well, I would I would hesitate to do that if I were me. I think it's um, not in our best interest to gloat when someone is facing hardship. As much as you may or may not agree or disagree with the current president, um, his son has a very tragic story. He needs to be held accountable, but this has to um, really tug on the president's heart. Um, he has not responded well in situations involving his son. That aside, he is a father who loves his son, the only living heir remaining. And um, it's got to be very painful to see those headlines. Anyway, that said, he's been indicted. We'll see what the court has to say. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi claimed it's wrong to open an impeachment inquiry without a House vote, despite doing so in the Trump impeachment efforts. Well, the former speaker, who's running for re-election, she's 83, insisted it's wrong for the current speaker um, to point to her um, actions when she announced an impeachment inquiry before taking a full vote, because when she did it, it was different. (laughs) In his announcement for an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden, McCarthy said evidence uncovered so far was overwhelming to suggest Biden used his political stature to secure foreign business deals through his son, Hunter, in places where the U.S. government has ongoing interest at the time, at least. Well, Pelosi said it's hogwash and ridiculous to say she's opened an impeachment inquiry into President Trump without a House vote. I don't know why the press keeps repeating it. Well, that's exactly what happened. That might be one reason, but you might want to check that out. United States is planning to section 150 companies and individuals for aiding Russia's war effort. The U.S. on Thursday will sanction uh, around 150 foreign companies and individuals, including their alleged shipping uh, America or Western technology to Russia. That's according to people familiar with the matter, marking an expanding Western effort to cut the flow of goods. Moscow needs to prosecute its war against Ukraine, and these goods are helping them in that effort. The U.S. and its allies over the last year have largely focused their finance and trade war against Russian firms. But as the Kremlin and its agents seek to sidestep Western sanctions and export controls by channeling the flow of uh, prohibited goods through intermediary nations, officials say they're ramping up a campaign to target companies along with individuals in countries acting to transit hubs for Russia. Well, the European Central Bank raised interest rates by a quarter percentage point to a record high, but signaled that the eurozone borrowing costs may have peaked. 
sending the euro tumbling. Well, in the uh, split decision, ECP officials raised the bank's deposit rate to 4%, the 10th increase in a row, and a um, uh, rise from below zero last year. At a news conference, the ECB president signaled that Thursday's rate increase might be the last, although she didn't uh, rule out further hikes if economic data disappoints. And Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler announced he will not campaign for re-election. Well, the mayor said he's pretty much done. Not going to seek a third term in office as um, crime has skyrocketed and the population has shrunk under his tenure and homelessness. Well, that's still a problem. Wheeler said Wednesday that his administration led innovative efforts throughout Portland. And rather than campaigning for mayor, he's going to focus his effort on addressing the city's critical challenges, while at the same time fundamentally reshaping city government. End quote. Well, since Wheeler was elected mayor in 2016, the city has faced numerous challenges, and that's putting it mildly. Portland shed 3% of its residents between 2020 and 2022, particularly due to an increase in crime and homelessness. The city was previously one of the safest cities in the U.S. and averaged nearly 21 homicides a year from 2000 to 2019. Portland suffered 92 homicides in 2021 and 101 in the year 2022 after defunding the police force. Well, race activist Ibram X. Kendi's anti-racism center will undergo layoffs. A source familiar with the matter claims upwards of 15 to 20 staffers will lose their jobs at the Center for Anti-Racism Research at Boston University, according to a Semaphore report published on Thursday. Well, the Center is led by activist and scholar Ibram Kendi, who founded the Center less than three years ago at the height of a widespread protest led by those predominantly associated with Black Lives Matter movement. Well, the source said that Semaphore, uh, told Semaphore rather, that the money saved by laying off staffers will be redirected to funding visiting scholars who already have a form of employment. The layoffs are reportedly due to uh, start later this year, and it's unclear which staffers will be losing their positions. The center's website previously listed 45 employees, but that data has since been wiped from the site. Senator Tim Scott slammed American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten on Wednesday for her comparison of parental rights um, advocates to Jim Crow era segregationists claiming white liberals will cry racism to win a fight. Scott said uh, Weinstein has possibly done the most damage to students in poor communities recently after she claimed school choice and parental rights advocates were similar to segregationists who opposed the historic Supreme Court on Brown versus Board of Education, which ended racial segregation in public schools. Randy Weingarten likened parental rights and school choice advocates to segregationists. Nikki Neely points out, she says the word choice and parental rights are the same kinds of words that were used in reaction to school desegregation by opponents of Brown versus Board of Education. Now, I guarantee you on both sides of that argument, parents believed whether they were being segregated against or they were calling for segregation. Both sides of that equation would have supported the notion that parents play a central role in decision-making and upbringing of their own children. Well, Cleveland's mayor criticized new LGBTQ guidance the Catholic Diocese implemented. Good on the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland. Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb denounced the new guidance that was implemented by the Catholic Diocese of Cleveland for its schools. The diocese put out new policies 
For its 84 private religious schools that ban LGBTQ expression, restrict certain clothing, and ban the use of pronouns or bathrooms that don't match a student's sex on official paperwork. The policy requires parental notification in the case of minors experiencing gender dysphoria or confusion, declares that parental rejection of a child's preferred pronouns don't constitute grounds for non-disclosure, bans use of preferred pronouns, restricts bathroom and facility usage to biological sex, prohibits admission of students to institutions, programs, and activities like sports designated for the opposite sex, bans same-sex dates to school dances and mixers, requires students to comply with dress codes aligning with their biological sex, bans any celebrations or advocacy for LGBTQ plus um, uh, ideologies or behaviors such as pride flags and bans gender transitions of any degree, whether social or medical. The policy acknowledged the existence of gender dysphoria, but rejected the modern belief that feelings determine truth. The Biden administration is once again holding the influx of migrants in cages. However, it's apparently not as great an offense as it was when it was useful against George W. Bush. Well, the Tucson sector along the U.S.-Mexico border continues to be slammed with illegal immigrants, straining resources, and a part of the country that typically sees more gotaways than people claiming asylum. As a result, almost no Border Patrol agents are actively patrolling this southern border. Uh, Thousands of uh, migrants um, are trying to get out of their facilities. So pictures and videos have emerged once again of migrants being held behind crowded uh, fencing outdoors with previously caused outrage from Democrats uh, and their allies in the mainstream media. Board member National Immigration Center for Enforcement, John Fabriacortor, something very like that, Round, uh, right now in Arizona, says the uh, sector there, hundreds in custody on top of what was caught of la- caught last night, already getting reports of large numbers crossing and Border Patrol trying to respond. They are overwhelmed and outnumbered. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' office is launching billboards in Illinois to encourage law enforcement officers in the state to make the smart move to Florida after Illinois approved allowing non-citizens to become officers and is eliminating cash bail. The billboards tout $5,000 signing bonuses for out-of-state police officers who relocate to the Sunshine State as part of its law enforcement recruitment bonus payment program, signed into law by Republican governor in 2022. Democrats are beginning to bail on President Biden. Earlier this week, Washington Post columnist David Ignatius finally jumped on board a growing sentiment Among Democrats, Joe Biden should not run again in 2024. Ignatius joins a group of left media pundits that is reading the tea leaves and concluding that the age-addled Biden is a threat to the Democrats holding on to the White House. As Ignatius puts it, if Biden and Harris campaign together in 2024, I think Biden risks undoing his great achievement, which was stopping Trump. So that apparently was his great achievement two years ago. Well, left media uh, outfits uh, from Atlanta to Politico to The New York Times have increasingly been willing to publish columns calling for the president to step aside. Of course, the problem that Ignatius included, uh, while at the same time glossing over is Kamala Harris. Democrats know Harris is no more of a winner than Biden. But how do they uh, dump her without being called out as racist and sexist? That was the ground upon which she was 
appointed his running mate in the first place. It is perhaps inescapable. President Biden's Department of Justice wants the ban on social media contacts lifted. On Thursday, the Justice Department requested that the U.S. Supreme Court lift the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals decision to uphold an injunction against federal agencies communicating with social media companies. In his decision, the judge, Terry Doherty, He noted that the federal government agencies had pressured social media companies to censor speech on their platforms, which was possibly the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. That's a quote. And while the Fifth Circuit, in its decision, revised Doherty's injunction, it upheld it. Now the administration is seeking to get the injunction lifted expressly because it wants to censor American speech, all under the guise of limiting the spread of misinformation. And what is misinformation? Well, essentially... Anything I disagree with. A bill classifying child sex trafficking as a serious felony passed the California legislature on Wednesday. The Golden State Legislature unanimously approved Senate Bill 14, which will allow the state to pursue life sentences under the three strikes provision. State Senator Shannon Grove, a Republican who authored the bill, responded to its passage by stating Senate Bill 14 will serve to protect future generations by stopping people from engaging in this horrific crime, end quote. Furthermore, it will, and I'm quoting, it will send a direct message to those committing this horrific crime of selling our children for sex in the state of California that we will no longer stand by and tolerate this, and you will serve a lengthy prison sentence when caught. Newsom is expected to sign Senate Bill 14 into law. Key testimony alleges Biden met with Hunter's business partners, a Kazakh bank official says. And Speaker McCarthy demolished an AP reporter over a false report that the House has no evidence for Biden's impeachment inquiry. President Biden says Republicans want to impeach him to shut down the government. And remember that promise of no new audits below $400,000? Well, the IRS doesn't. August wholesale Inflation rose 0.7% hotter than expected and no evidence that UFOs have extraterrestrial origins, NASA finds. So those images that emerged last week as beings from another place, well, they may not be uh, from another place. We'll leave it at that. Chinese shipbuilding capacity is over 200 times greater than U.S. Navy. Uh, intelligence says and former Kentucky clerk Kim Davis has been ordered to pay $100,000 to a gay couple over refusing to sign their marriage license. Well, Texas Attorney General Paxton has been acquitted on Saturday. The Texas Senate voted to acquit Attorney General Ken Paxton of all 16 articles of impeachment that the state house raised against him. Following his acquittal, Paxton blasted the sham impeachment, asserting that it had been coordinated by the Biden administration with liberal House Speaker Dade Fellum and that his kangaroo court has cost taxpayers millions of dollars, disrupted the work of the office of the attorney general and left a dark and permanent stain on the Texas House. He added the weaponization of the impeachment process to settle political differences is not only wrong, it is immoral and corrupt, end quote. All 12 of the Lone Star State's Senate Democrats and two Republicans voted to convict, while 16 Republicans voted to acquit. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who oversaw the vote, also criticized the process with virtually no time for 150 members to study the articles he observed. The speaker and his team rammed through the first impeachment of a statewide official in over 100 years. 
President Biden will recover Ukraine's economy, he says. You might want to take a look at our own. The White House released a statement from the president in which he announced the appointment of the uh, new U.S. Special Representative for Ukraine's economic recovery. The president appointed Penny Pritzker to serve in this role, given Biden's economic recovery record here at home, which has resulted in a sustained high inflation rate, making Americans poorer, has led to a growing poverty rate in the U.S. Folks in Ukraine would be wise to run away Bidenomics as fast as they can. A horrendous crime and coverage of it, two black teenagers stole a car in Las Vegas, joyriding in it while filming themselves, deliberately causing another car to crash. Far worse, they then deliberately run over a cyclist who happened to be a retired police chief, killing him. The video of the incident literally looks like something from a video game, Grand Theft Auto. The teens have been apprehended for this horrendous crime. However, uh, nearly as egregious has been the media's coverage of the crime. The Las, uh, Las Vegas Review Journal simply noted that the police chief was killed in a bike crash. Not the case. By the way, the drivers in the vehicles who who stole the vehicle were African-American. It didn't fit the narrative. Therefore, it was just, uh, you know, another car crash. Whitmer would-be kidnappers have been acquitted. The three men who are among those charged in the plot to kidnap the Michigan Democrat governor, Gretchen Whitmer, have been acquitted. The three men um, uh, were charged with providing material support for terrorist acts and firearms possession during a commission of a felony. The three didn't realize that the dozens other men who had been found guilty with whom they were engaged with were plotting to kidnap the governor and put her on trial for treason. A jury found the three defendants not guilty after a two-week trial. Avoiding a government shutdown? Well, on Sunday, members of the Freedom Caucus reached a tentative agreement with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy to join what the rest of the Republican majority uh, contains um, uh, some domestic spending growth cuts and uh, includes some illegal immigration provisions, but doesn't include the E-Verify requirements for employers. The Democrat-controlled Senate is expected to balk at the bill, but McCarthy, he successfully put pressure for the government shutdown onto the Democrats. Hunter Biden sues the IRS, alleging the agents tried to target and embarrass him. And the Navy has ended its digital recruiting program over drag queens. Well, on this day in history, 1793, President George Washington lays the cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol. 1850, Congress passes the Fugitive Slave Act, which creates a force of federal commissioners charged with returning escaped slaves to their owners. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Dave King for engineering. Join us tomorrow. Samuel Hakim from Redeeming the Nations will join us. He will be our guest. So stay with us. Also on Wednesday, Pastor Rich Jones and Matthew Dodds, Blessers of Israel, will be uh, guest hosting for me as I go in for a medical event. I don't know what to call it. Anyway, we'll be back. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.